Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, this is this new experience for me. <laughs> I'm recording this on a Wednesday, and by the time you see this, it'll be Sunday morning. Uh, and the reason that I'm preaching like this this morning is because Helen and I are away down in St. Austell in Cornwall uh, with some friends of ours at a church called South Coast Church, ministering for the weekend. And for the first time that I can remember in 18 years, um, none of our regular uh, teaching team are available because of the long weekend. And so this is the first time that I'm actually doing this, and uh, I trust that it'll, it'll be okay, as it's a new experience for me and it's a new experience for you. But we're going we're gonna to continue to look at our series on Colossians, and uh, I'm going to look at chapter 3 again this morning. So I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then I'm going to get right on with it. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read the first eight verses, which says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, Seize it at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So if you remember last week, I started looking at this portion, and uh, the end of chapter 2 leads up to this great therefore moment at the beginning of chapter 3. And I said to you last week that um, Paul arrives at this point having spent a number of chapters describing who Jesus is, what he's done, the work that he's done for us on the cross. And then he says, in the light of all that Jesus has done for us, therefore let your life begin to conform to the new person that you are. And I said that's how the Bible teaches, the New Testament teaches godliness. It teaches holy living. It never just gives us rules it says, this is what Jesus has done, and in the light of what Jesus has done, let your life start to conform to what Christ has done for you. And so, this is consistent with the way that Paul organizes all of his letters. Uh, so, for example, Ephesians or Corinthians, 1, 1 Corinthians, or even 1 Peter, there are these great theological um, expositions that are written down, and then we are encouraged as believers, in the light of all that God has done for us, to let our lives start conforming to the work of Christ in our, in our own lives and all that God has done for us. So, um, this is how Paul consistently teaches in the New Testament. So, he never calls us to a new life, a new way of life, until we've understood our new position in Christ. And that's how it is consistently in the New T Testament. In other words, I'm saying that Paul is not a moralist. He's not just trying to give us rules and a moral code. He's always pointing us to the source of our life, who is Jesus. And so I did uh, begin to look at some of these things um, with you last week. But the most wonderful thing about the second half of this Colossian letter is that it gives us a complete picture of what practical Christianity looks like in such a so short space. Only, in only a couple of chapters, we get this amazing picture of what a practical Christian life looks like. And Paul, because he's a great teacher, a very logical person, he sets out this balanced description for us in a clearly ordered sequence in which he addresses five things. 
to show us how the rule of Christ affects every, every area and shapes every area of our relationships. And uh, it's not done in a random way. And as I look at these with you over the next couple of weeks, you'll see that all of these things relate directly to what he said in the first couple of chapters. And uh, there's a clear connection between the first half of the letter and the second half of the letter. But Paul, who is a great teacher, is now trying to apply all these great truths to our lives. And he's teaching the Colossians, and at the same time, he's teaching us. And so here are the five sections that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. This morning, I'm going to look at, you, uh, look at this one with you, the Christian and Christ, and how our relationship with Jesus is foundational to everything. So that's the first thing that Paul addresses in the first eight chapters, first eight verses of chapter three. The second thing he looks at is the Christian and the local church, and that's the second half of chapter three from verse nine to 17. Then he brings it a little bit uh, more focused and talks about the Christian and family. What does that look like? And so that's verse 18 to 21 of, of, of chapter 3. And then he looks at the Christian and, and the Christian in the workplace in chapter uh, 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. And then lastly, he looks at the Christian and how the Christian interacts with someone outside who's not saved, outside of the church community. So those are the five things that Paul logically looks at. And so this morning we're going to look at the first one, which is the Christian and his relationship to Jesus. Now, I did, I did kind of start this last week, and so the first couple of things are just like a little recap, and then I want to focus on uh, two other things with you this morning. So obviously the most important thing for every Christian is to maintain their relationship, their personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the head. We are connected to him. There are all those images that we spoke about last time of the limb and the tree, the, the arm on a body, all these things the Bible uses to describe our relationship with Jesus. We are in him. He is the head. He is the head of the body. He, he, he is the vine. We are the branches. And so there's this connection that must be maintained with Jesus. And when that gets out of kilter, everything in our lives also starts to lose focus. And so Paul is now trying to urge these Colossians forward and give them these what I would like to call imperatives, these urgent commands. Uh, when you think of what an imperative is, an imperative is the most important thing for you. It's imperative that you do this. And so Paul, in a very loving way, is giving four imperatives for us as Christians in terms of our relationship with Jesus. He says these are the four most important things that you can do as a Christian. And he simply says this, set your, um, seek things that are above, that's the first imperative, Seek things that are above. Secondly, set your mind on things above. Thirdly, put to death what is earthly in you. And fourthly, put away the life that you once lived. There are the four imperatives that he describes in these verses. The most important things for us to give ourselves to. And so the first great command, the first great imperative, to seek what is above, to seek Christ, is grounded in the fact that we have been raised with Christ. That's how chapter 3 starts. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above, or seek what is above. And so that's the foundation of what, of, of true, uh, what it means to be a true believer. We are alive from the dead. We've been raised in Christ. And remember I said to you last week, I looked at that a little bit more in detail. All that happened to Jesus has happened to us. And that's the foundation of our lives. We've been given this amazing relationship with Jesus 
who now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me, and we are to seek Him with all of our hearts. We're not to be complacent. We're not to fall back into a lethargy. Um, but the, the, the New Testament constantly encourages us to be looking upwards, raising our eyes daily as we walk with Jesus to see Him and what He has for us. And so this is very much a thing of the heart. It's engaging your heart. It's engaging your, your emotions and, and setting your, your heart on things that are above. And so we looked at that uh, last week, and so I'm not going to dwell on it anymore this morning. But the second great command, the second great imperative of living a godly life, Paul says, is to set your mind on things above. And so that's, he's speaking now more than just engaging your heart. He's speaking, he's saying, yeah, it's good to engage your heart, that sense of passion and focus and desire. But it's more than that. It's not just your emotions. It's also your mind. Set your mind on things that are above. And so what Paul is saying is there's a renewed mind that God has given us, and that renewed mind must be set on heavenly things. It's not only that we understand what Jesus has done for us in our hearts, but also that we commit our minds to discovering what His will is for our lives and for His church. And so what gives that command more power in our lives is that when we understand that it's rooted in, in verse 3 and 4. So Paul says, don't set your mind on earthly things, but on heavenly things. And so it begs the question, does that mean that everything that is temporal, everything that is of this world, we should have nothing to do with? Well, when we see what follows in the, in the, in the chapter, it's quite clear that Paul is not saying that. Paul is not saying, have nothing to do with this earthly life. He's not saying, be so heavenly minded, be so spiritual that none of you become mechanics or surgeons or business people or chefs or musicians. He's not saying, be so uh, heavenly minded that you don't give yourself to be a good husband or good wife or good employer. It's not what he's saying at all. What Paul means when he's saying, set your mind on heavenly things and not on earthly things, is talking about sin that drags you down. Remember what I said last week. The old man has been crucified with Christ. The new man, <coughs> excuse me, has been born again, has been raised to life. And so live like the new man that you are. Don't live like the old man that you were. Uh, set your mind on Christ. So in other words, you can't set your mind on Christ and still set your mind on sinful earthly things that drag you down. So verse 3 tells us that there's this been this, been this great re regeneration, this great change in our lives. The old is gone and the new has come. And we looked last week as well at what it means to have our life hidden in Christ. And uh, I urge you to go and look at the pod uh, listen to the podcast again uh, if you need to refresh yourself in that. So those are the first two things. Set your hearts on things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. And the third great command, the third great imperative, Paul says, put to death all that is earthly in you. So the first command uh, concerned our individual relationship with Jesus, that we need to all be personally seeking Him. The second command, yeah, your will needs to be engaged in this as well. So this next command of Paul's shows us what we begin to do when we begin to understand what God's will is for our lives, as we start to understand what His will is for our lives, we start to put to death, put to death all that is earthly. In other words, Paul is saying outside of Jesus, 
outside of understanding uh, who Christ is and what He's done for you, you don't really see the need for righteousness and holiness. And we can see this very much in the, in a, in the world in which we live. Um, people don't see things as sin that are sin. Because why? Because they haven't yet been born again. They haven't yet uh, had their minds renewed. And so the call for Christians is to be holy. And this um, command is rooted deeply in the Old Testament. Psalm 97 verse 10 says, Those that love God hate evil. And it's a very strong language, but what it is saying is that when God has renewed your heart, you begin to, you, you begin to see things from a different perspective. You, you begin to not, your heart is, is, hates what God hates, and your heart loves what God loves. And this is beautifully illustrated in this, these verses today, where Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, what belongs to the old person, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, using the language of Psalm 97, hate what is evil and love what is good. Put to death in your life what is evil and love what is good. And as we look at these verses, I want you to notice a couple of things. Firstly, do you notice how explicit and unambiguous Paul is here? In the same way Jesus was direct and unambiguous. These sins were gross sins uh, and were the very things that Jews regarded with horror because they saw them as idolatry. They saw them as replacing the God in a person's life. And, so, and yet Paul says, these, the roots of these things run so deeply in our lives that we can't really truly be free of them without the help of Jesus. That's what he's trying to say. So it's very unambiguous. He, he names these things, and he clearly says we need to put them to death. He's also very practical. When he says, put these things to death, he's not talking, remember we mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago about asceticism, which was this practice of insisting that people ate certain foods or fasted or prayed in a certain way. Paul's already said in, in chapter 2, verse 23, those things have no value for you at all uh, outside of your relationship with Jesus. And so he's not talking about that when he says, put to death um, these things in your life. He's not say, urging us to that kind of behavior. What he's saying is, don't be passive about these things. Put them to death. Recognize that sin is crouching at your door. Recognize that all of us have the potential to fall in these areas. That's what he's saying. And he's saying if you are passive in these things and you're not actively putting them to death, you're only deceiving yourself. Only when we die and go to be, Jesus with, be, be with Jesus will we be completely free from the temptation to sin. In the meantime, here on earth, all of us, you and me, everyone, all of us included, are to put to death, by the power of the Spirit in our lives, impurity, passion, evil passion, evil desire, covetousness, and all of these things, Paul says, are idolatry. So put them to death. I also want to just um, ask you to notice this. Do you notice that these commands, these imperatives, these things that Paul says are very important, are also supported with some incentives. Sometimes Christians know what God is calling them to do, but they lack the desire or the will to do it. Well, you know, we can try and stir people's emotions and motivate them in that way, but I'm not sure that this ever has any long-lasting effects if all we are appealing to are people's emotions. Uh, Paul never shouts louder in order to get people to obey him. Uh, he knows very well that how difficult it is, this third command. 
to put to death these things in our lives. He knows there are pressures from without, pressures from within, and all of these things threaten our obedience. And so he knows that we need some incentives. He knows that we need some encouragements. And so he, he gives them to us here. And, and, and therefore, I want to say to you that uh, verse 5 points back to the first four, four verses. Our devotion to Jesus will be badly damaged and spoiled if we practice the things that Paul is mentioning in these verses. In other words, if we are giving ourselves to sexual immorality and impurity and all these things, what is damaged is our relationship with Jesus, that pure devotion to Jesus. And Paul says we need to know that one day Jesus is going to appear again in glory, and when he appears again in glory, so too will we. And all these things will be laid bare. So ultimately, Paul points us in the long run to the, the judgment that is to come, which he says will be visited upon all things that are evil and impure. If you read those verses, that's what he says. He says all these things, sexual impurity, covetousness, lust, all these things, are going to be judged on that day. And he points us to that. And so the encouragement for the Colossians and for, for all of us is that the great promise of verse 4 when Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with Him. That's the great promise. That's the great motivation. It's alongside this great warning as well in verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In other words, God is going to judge all those things that are impure. And then lastly, in terms of this um, great command to put to death these things in our lives, I just want you to notice that the ethical teaching of Paul is never out of date. So often we hear today, and I've heard this so, so, so much recently, that Christians need to change what they teach, because the Bible, you know, it's fundamentally out of date, and we need to get, get with the times, come into the modern world, and, and kind of adjust what we believe. Well, it's true that the world is changing at an incredibly rapid pace. Uh, it is true. And I guess it's a good question to ask, how can a, an older person like me speak into the needs of younger people? in a rapidly changing world? How can Jesus, how can Paul, 20 centuries later, speak into our modern culture? Well, I say that the need for this third command, this third imperative, that we put to death these things in our lives, shows that there's nothing much in human nature and society that has changed in the last 2,000 years at all. Not much. Licentiousness, a lack of restraint, still characterize, characterize our society today as it did in Paul's day. They are still the hallmarks of our society. So much stuff right now about abuse of children, about um, sexual impropriety in the workplace, in the film industry. All this stuff shows a licentiousness and a lack of restraint and a lack of godly um, um, behavior. These are still the forces that are at work in people's lives. And so, why should we listen to the teaching of Jesus? Why should we listen to the teaching of Paul? Why should we limp, um, listen to the teaching of the Bible? I say to you simply because it speaks exactly into the need of our lives and into the need of our world. It is as relevant today as it was in Paul's day. And what the Bible says about these things is never out of date. And so this brings me to the fourth great uh, 
uh, imperative, the most important thing for us as Christians. Remember, we're talking about the Christian and our relationship with Christ. That's the first big block of teaching that Paul is addressing here. And the last thing he says, he says, set your heart on things that are above, set your mind that are things that are above, put to death all these things in your life personally. And then he says, put away the life you once lived. So the, com- the third command, put to death all these, these things, has to do with what's within you. The plague of the human heart that we carry. But the fourth command, this fourth command, is to do with evil ways that we inherit from the past or we inherit from our culture or lifestyles that we've repented of. Paul says, now you've got to put all that stuff away as well. You've got to put away because you've been rescued from your old life and the things of your old life that used to used to practice, you need to put those away. And so he's saying our old way of life needs to be decisively challenged and also decisively changed. And if you think about communities, all of us come from different communities that have traditional ways of things being done. And some of these things can be really precious and wonderful. Uh, All communities have ways of, of, of passing on tradition and inheriting things from our forefathers. But what Paul is really saying here is saying that all of those things, all of those ways, all of those traditions must come under the Lordship of Christ and all those things that do not align with His kingdom must be thrown off. They must be put off. He's saying a radical thing. He's saying that actually when we come to Christ, everything from our tradition, everything from our culture that's not part of His kingdom must be put away. It must be put off. Because we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. There's a new ruler in our lives, and his name is Jesus. And I, you can probably see that that can be an up, a, a most unpopular view. But ultimately, what Paul is saying is that all of our lives come under the authority of Christ and his rule. And so that everything that does not conform must be put off, must be challenged in the name of Jesus. And I was just thinking, if you think of the picture of baptism, that's exactly what the picture of baptism is. Uh, when, we, when we are baptized, we are demonstrating that all of our old life, with its traditions, which is, with its prejudices, with all the stuff that we've inherited from our past, has died, and there's a new king, Jesus, who's shaping the whole of our future. And that's why we get baptized. In other words, we have to leave behind all the pagan thinking, the wrong thinking that we've inherited from others, from our communities, and from our backgrounds. That's why Paul says in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So, so why does Paul take such great care to list these sins in verse 8 and say that these are things that Christians are to put away decisively from their lives? Why? Well, precisely because they are the kinds of things that people said Uh, if you like, sins of speech, that destroyed harmonious relationships. They were at the very heart of this pagan culture in Colossia that Paul was speaking into. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. They were part of the culture. And so Paul says, those things, you've got to put them off. You've got to put them away. Put to death those things. And I want to say to you that it's true still today that those very things destroy every dream that we might have of brotherhood, of, of being together in community. Uh, what Paul is really saying to the Colossians and he's saying to us 
is that we have to acknowledge that anger, rage, malice, slander, and abusive talk characterize the old lives, the old lives that have died in Christ. Those kind of things characterize that life. They do not characterize the new creation that they now are. So they need to put off those old things. And so I would encourage you, by the power of the Spirit this morning, that you would put to death these things in your life. You would acknowledge that they are part of the old. Don't make excuses for them anymore. They are part of the old. They do not belong to the new. And wherever you see anger, malice, slander, obscene talk, whenever you see it creeping up in your own life, you put it to death by the power of the Spirit in the moment. So I'm not going to have that anymore. That's part of the old. And then... Paul begins to move on uh, and to speak about the next thing that he wants to, which is looking at the community and the church. Um, so these four things, seek things above, set your mind on things above, put to death what is earthly, and put away the life you once lived, are the things that characterize our individual relationship with Jesus. But the truth is, none of us stand individually with Jesus alone. And by being drawn to Jesus, we are also drawn to every single Christian, every other person who loves Christ and is seeking Christ in their lives. And so our union with Jesus must lead to a union with a community of believers. It must lead to a unity in a congregation of believers. And that's the next great subject that Paul will speak about in this letter. But I'm going to stop there today and encourage you in your devotions to carry on reading the letter of Colossians and start to think about what Paul says in terms of us as Christians and the community, the church. And we will look at that last, uh, next week. May God bless you and keep you. Have a great week. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Cheers.